You're listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. It's Friday, January 20th of 2023. I'm your host, Alexis Kenyon. Coming up on today's show, we talk with Boulder Beats Shay Castle about a controversy surrounding Boulder's police oversight panel. After that, we hear about a clinic in Durango that is attempting to heal intergenerational trauma. And then it's .org, our weekly look at local nonprofits. At 8.30, it's the BBC News Update, followed by Connections with KGNU's Rosanna Longo-Better and Fiona Foster. As always, the phone lines will be open and your calls are welcome. At 9.30, the Morning Sound Alternative will bring you two and a half hours of eclectic music until noon. That's all still ahead this morning, but first, these local and regional headlines with KGNU's Stacey Johnson. Adams County District Court Judge Mark Douglas Warner ruled Wednesday that there will be three separate trials for the police officers and paramedics who are facing charges of manslaughter and negligent homicide in connection with the 2019 violent arrest and the death of Elijah McClain. As part of Wednesday's ruling, Warner said, quote, the factual circumstances do not neatly follow a typical co-defendant criminal matter. Warner ordered that the Aurora officer who put McLean in a chokehold will be tried alone and that the police officers who were involved with restraining McLean will be tried together in another proceeding. The third proceeding will involve the two paramedics who injected McLean with the sedative ketamine. The five defendants facing a combined 32-count grand jury indictment are Aurora police officers Nathan Woodard, Randy Redima, Jason Rosenblatt, and paramedics Jeremy Cooper and Peter Tukiniak. The court has scheduled the defendants to appear for an arraignment hearing today in which the defendants will offer their pleas and the judge will likely set dates for their trials. For other news related to the death of Elijah McClain, the Aurora Civil Service Commission has rehired former canine police officer Matthew Green, who as a backup responder in 2019, helped restrain Elijah McClain and also threatened to release a police dog on him if he failed to comply. According to the Aurora Sentinel, city of hiring documents show Aurora rehired the former K-9 officer as a patrol officer on January 10th. Green, who was not charged for McLean's death, was previously with the department starting in 2009 and left voluntarily in 2021 to work for law enforcement in Douglas County. The Aurora Sentinel reports the department spokesperson did not respond to criticism surrounding Green's rehiring. Sheena McLean, Elijah McLean's mother, told the Aurora Sentinel that she is disappointed and disgusted by the news of the hiring, but not surprised. She says she believes everyone involved during the night of her son's murder bears responsibility. McLean's mother also criticized Green for taking on a slave mentality of telling a person of color they are going to be attacked by a police dog. Green's reinstatement comes amid additional controversy for the beleaguered Aurora Police Department that is facing hiring challenges. In recent weeks, the department promoted Officer Nate Meyer, who in 2019 passed out drunk behind the wheel of his police car, to the rank of agent. Last week, the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office arrested off-duty Aurora Police Officer Douglas Hernan based on allegations that he punched a disabled woman in the head during a dispute. Boulder City Council voted Thursday evening to end the city sales tax on menstrual and diaper products. Boulder joins Denver and Aurora in exempting the products from city sales tax revenues. The Colorado legislature also passed a law last year ending the state sales tax for the products. 
Among other activities during last night's city council meeting, the city council once again delayed a vote approving new members to the city's police oversight panel after finding out that a resident filed a formal complaint alleging the selection committee violated an ordinance that requires mandatory qualifications for the panelists. KGNU will have more on this matter later in the morning magazine. The Boulder County Commission unanimously agreed earlier in the week to join other local governments nationwide in stating support for a proposed finding by the Environmental Protection Agency that says leaded aviation gas endangers the health and welfare of the public. According to a county press statement, the EPA published the proposed finding last October as part of a process to potentially regulate and phase out the fuel, similar to the past phase-out for leaded gasoline and vehicles. The EPA says piston engine aircraft are the largest single source of lead emissions to the air in the United States, and the emissions cause elevated lead levels near airports, which in turn endanger public health. More meth was found in another Colorado Front Range public library. KGNU's Jack Armstrong has more. Littleton officials announced late Wednesday that the city has closed the Bemis Public Library after test results showed methamphetamine contamination in several bathrooms. The Littleton Independent reports that recent findings of methamphetamine contamination at library locations in Boulder and Englewood, as well as the Englewood Civic Center, led Littleton officials to perform testing out of abundance of caution. A library spokesperson told the Littleton Independent that there was no prior evidence of drug use in the library. The Boulder Daily Camera reports that Longmont officials have decided not to test for methamphetamine at its library location after initially considering it in light of Boulder's recent contamination. A Longmont official told the Daily Camera that the county health department does not recommend Longmont perform testing at the present time and considers the risk of exposure to be significantly low and not a public health risk. A spokesperson with Boulder County Public Health says the agency was unaware of the Longmont Library meeting any criteria that would require testing. The health department spokesperson also said the agency does not make recommendations for testing, but does enforce the regulations that require testing under certain conditions. For KGNU, I'm Jack Armstrong. As the Chinese New Year begins on Sunday, two locations in Denver will be hosting celebratory events this weekend. From 10.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. on Saturday, the Denver Chinese School and the Chinese American Foundation of Colorado are inviting the public to their cultural fair, Taste of China, and a marketplace at Denver's George Washington High School. Saturday's event also includes a celebration show from 1.30 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. featuring acrobats, magic, dance, opera, music, martial arts, and a performance by a children's choir. On Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., the Far East Center and Trong On Gifts on South Federal Boulevard will be hosting events throughout the day that include lion dances and other special performances. For today's weather, the National Weather Service says skies will be cloudy with light and variable winds. Today's highs will reach near 29 degrees for Boulder, 30 degrees for Denver, and 32 degrees for Fort Collins. There is a 30 to 40 percent chance of snow along the Metro Front Range region in the afternoon and evening hours, with snow accumulations less than a half an inch possible. Tonight's lows will be 14 degrees for Boulder and Fort Collins and a low of around 18 degrees for Denver. For KGNU, I'm Stacy Johnson.
You're listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Alexis Kenyon. Boulder City Council voted to delay the approval of two new appointees to the police oversight panel last night. This is the second time Boulder City Council has punted the vote. Concerns over the new nominees being biased against police have raised questions about the role of the police oversight panel in recent months. In November, one of the panel's founding members resigned, saying that the police department consistently ignored the panel's authority. Shea Castle of Boulder Beat News has been following the story and is joining me to discuss more. Shay, good morning and thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. There's nowhere I'd rather be on my 35th birthday. Oh, it's your 35th birthday. Happy <laughs> yes, birthday. Thank you. <laughs> she waited to drop drop that one. <laughs> um, so tell me about last night's meeting. What happened? So the complaint, there was a complaint filed by a resident of Boulder against the selection committee of the police oversight panel. The complaint alleges that um, the panel was did not follow city code related to the process of appointing new members because the members are, um, at least a couple of the, the appointees, are biased against police. For evidence of this, he used Twitter posts from one of the appointees, Lisa Sweeney Moran. Um, and this was late late breaking. The, the city attorney and all the city council members <laughs> said they they just got word of it before the meeting. So... In light of that, five of the city council members voted to delay the vote on the appointees until next week when they'll also have to begin the investigation, direct the city to begin the investigation into the official complaint. So tell me about these appointees. Um, and but because this this vote was already delayed, it was supposed to happen in December. What is the problem? So there have been concerns raised in the community and and by the police um, chief and the police union, although the police chief herself is is not, you know, saying she's not naming any particular members, but we all know who they're talking about. So in the December meeting, there's there's a whole bunch of appointees, but there were two who were flagged by the community and the police as um, as concerns because of past communications to council and their social media posts. They're perceived by police and pro-police citizens as being anti-police. They have, you know, one of them, Sam Zhang, has emailed city council supporting the defund the police movement. Lisa Lisa Sweeney Moran has tweeted many times critical, critical posts of the police and um, also recommended a book which delved into the abolish the police movement. So to these pro-police folks, their argument is really that the panel is not the appropriate place for what they see as like anti-police folks to be because the panel, as a reminder, is charged with weighing in on the discipline of individual officers who have um, who have allegedly, you know, violated policy like department policy and rules. They also recommend policy changes on the department as a whole. So I think from the the pro-police kind of stance. Like like uh, Chief Harold said to me in an interview, like this would be the same as putting someone who was super pro police and thinks the police can do no wrong on the panel. They see someone as they see these folks as being incapable of objectively weighing in on individual officers mm-hmm. if they're not in favor of the police as a whole, if that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. Um I mean, and I think this kind of, well, I I know that you reported some really interesting quotes about um, 
arguments against um, against this idea. But and I do think it, it, this next question is relevant. Tell me about how this police oversight panel was created. What was its purpose in the first place? So police oversight panel was created in response to a 2019 incident, which listeners may remember a black Naropa student, Zaid Atkinson, was picking up trash outside his Boulder home and was confronted by armed officers, several armed officers. It was a very tense confrontation. Um, Thankfully, no one ended up hurt, but the community really responded to this uh, in in a very strong way. There were protests. There was a listening session on racism and policing at city council and it was decided that there needed to be a a more active um, form of civilian check on police power we, we have long had a civilian oversight panel of some kind but it it didn't really do much according to folks who wanted to see something a little stronger so that's really what this panel is about like is someone other than the police department reviewing alleged misconduct by police officers and so the panel was created, and since then, well, at least in the last year, there's been a lot of tension about its authority. This is just the latest of problems that has arisen with the police oversight panel, and there has been a lot of criticism around the detective department and you know, the panel not having any authority. One of the founding members resigned in November. I mean, what... What is this conflict ultimately about? Boy, that's a that's a big question. Um, and I don't know that it it boils down to one big overarching point. There, you know, I each each case is is kind of individual. If we had to boil it down to a big point, it would be that, you know, it, the police and the citizenry are sometimes in conflict when it comes to how much power should the police have, how much, you know, discipline should be handed, what should happen to officers who do violate the rules. And um, the panel can make a recommendation on officer discipline, but they don't actually have a say in what happens. There is no formal authority other than to recommend policy changes and discipline. That final authority rests with the police chief. And both the panel and the police chief have said that, you know, most of the time they're in agreement. And when when they're in disagreement, it it tends to be around this officer discipline stuff. When you mentioned the case of the detective section, that was more than four dozen cases that went not properly investigated, some of which the statute of limitations expired on. And the panel recommended that everyone involved be fired, the detective uh, and his supervisors and the chief, you know, who also has to consider the police union, state law, uh, the fact that it's uh, very difficult to actually fire a police officer. They um, can be rehired through, you know, the power of their union and arbitration and law. Um, she did not end up firing anyone. They got one to five day suspensions. One person resigned. The detective was moved. So it's really a fundamental disagreement on when can cops be removed if they're if they're breaking the rules and when can they not? So, I mean... Uh, it's interesting because the the idea of a police the, like, there are just such different ideas about what a police oversight panel should be um the police say or people who are um for nominating these two members and people on the panel say the police should not be able to choose their own panel what's the point of that and on the other side they say 
if you're anti-police, why you shouldn't be regulating the pol police because that's that doesn't make sense. And there's this whole um, idea is regulating the police the same as ab abolishing the police. And is there any place for people who don't believe in the police in like navigating what to do with police? Tell me about this. How did that how does that play out? I think you phrased it really beautifully. Um, there are abolish the police and defund the police movements nationally. And these are very little understood. It's clear that the police themselves take this very literally. Abolish the police means no police. And while there are some abolitionists who believe that, both of these movements are really about asking the police to do less. No mental health calls, not working with the homeless, maybe even domestic violence. Like don't which are mainstream ideas that lots of folks support. But when you get them tied to these national movements, it starts a little bit of a panic. I, I kind of tend to think of it like the military. Do I support lots of military action? Personally, I do not. Do I support military members? Yes, I do. My best friend, lots of my family have been in the military. Um, so I, I personally can kind of separate those two. But I think when it comes to these very divisive issues, they're it's hard to for some people to to sort through them. Yeah. Well, that is all the time we have. Shay, thank you so much for joining me. Shay Castle is the founder of Boulder Beat News. You can find her work online. We'll also link to it on our website when we post this. Um, you're listening to KGNU. You're listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Alexis Kenyon. An alternative healing clinic in Durango is serving the Hispanic community for free with the goal of reducing stress from intergenerational trauma. From Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamidas of KSUT and KSJD has this story. On a recent afternoon at an undisclosed office location in downtown Durango, Construyendo Poder is hosting a massage and herbalism clinic. Latina women and children arrive and greet Wendelin Omania with a familiar hug. The Latina community members have signed up for free massage sessions with Omania, who has a room prepared with a bed, towel, and oils. Kate Houston arrives. She's Construyendo Poder's herbalist, and she's here to give out free teas and salves in private sessions. I used to work at an herb shop, and herbs are expensive. If I wasn't making them for myself, I probably wouldn't be able to afford them right now. Houston enjoys working with this community because alternative healing practices are an important part of Hispanic culture. Working with this community in particular is also really fun because people tend to be used to using home remedies. They grew up with their grandmothers making home remedies for them. And so there's a lot less skepticism and a lot more enthusiasm. And like people come to it believing that it will work. Wendell Onamanya is the group's founder and a licensed massage therapist. She's giving free massages today. I am an immigrant myself. I went to the ESL classes myself, so I merged in the community fully. The volunteers at Construyendo Poder are bilingual. All sessions are private, and they happen a few times a month. 
And word of mouth is an important part of this community work, according to Omanya. We are not centralized. We don't have an office on purpose because our main goal is to have that level of privacy and safety for people, especially those that have been persecuted. The mission of Construyendo Poder is to provide access to healthcare services through a community that otherwise wouldn't have it. Omanya started the group in 2018 after Immigration Customs Enforcement started conducting raids more frequently in the Durango area. Omanya wanted to help alleviate stress and fear created by those raids. Because of this trauma, intergenerational trauma, uh, we decide to bring alternatives for them to understand what is trauma, what is stress, what is anxiety, the physical consequences of it, the mental consequences of it, and the emotional consequences of it. Omanya used to work with a local activist group focused on immigration issues. I think I'm an activist still. I feel like it's time for me to transition into the healing part. If I provide the tools to my community, it's my belief that we become a stronger population, emotionally speaking. Construyendo Poder is funded by donations from individuals and grants from the Colorado Health Foundation and Colorado Women of Color. Construyendo Poder hosts clinics a few times a month. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. That story from KSUT and KSJD was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a new network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KGNU. Time now for .org, spotlighting the work of local nonprofits and co-ops. Hey, this is Chris Schultz with KGNU. I'm here with Brandon Naughton from Truce Media. Brandon, you want to tell us a little bit about Truce Media and what you guys do? At Truce Media, our real mission is to build a member-owned movie studio. So obviously you guys are a co-op. You want to give a little breakdown for our, our folks as to why you chose that business model? You know, I spent a couple of years uh, kind of digging into this. Uh, you know, finally, after doing a lot of digging, I kind of landed on the Article 58 Limited Cooperative Association, Public Benefit Corporation, where you can have more of a, a producer co-op because in the film and TV industry, it really is kind of based a lot of, of impact. We wanted high performers and producers to see the advantage of equity. And then we also believe that we're going to need investment. But one of the best parts is that no external investor or entity can actually own more than 49% control. You know, So there's no way that they could come in and try to take over the company out of the hands of those that are member owners. And we really wanted to protect that. With the creatives being member owners, do you find that they take to ownership and the responsibilities of ownership? You know, you really have to kind of go through training. We've got a kind of a six-part series of training we do. And then after that, we kind of have a special project that they need to work on and own and actually see to fruition in order to like get voted into a, a membership. And we've done that so that we can have them show like, they're contributing to the company and to all the other member owners. Talk about with a ownership model and, and creatives, how projects get accepted. Yeah. I mean, right now it's very much uh, a lot of development phase and what phase everything is in. So we've had several uh, people come with projects that are mostly done or partially done. So a lot of those projects will tend to go to the top because they're the easiest for us to like knock out and, and get into the, into the pipeline. And uh, we have a committee for original content that's constantly kind of going over 
the schedule as well as the content. And then just when new stuff comes in, uh, they're kind of doing the, the recommendations from there. So everyone gets to look at it and kind of decide if it's something we want to potentially pursue. Uh, and then we know we talk to everybody on the team about their ideas. Can you talk a little bit about this environment, uh, a studio and a co-op? I think it's an interesting concept here in Colorado for both of them. It's interesting. I'd say there's a lot of support for co-ops uh, when it comes to film and in the movie side. Uh, that you know is a totally different model in a sense, and you could say that Colorado is just you know behind the curve on those things. So you know Colorado is a great corporate environment. But you don't see a lot of narrative storytelling. What we've done is uh, we've actually created what we call an affiliate member of Truce, where a company, they're providing us with a retainer uh, to do their work on a narrative storytelling way. So we're really working with them as a creative agency and providing creative services, you know, and actually write a script and come up with something that's very different, but tells your story in a way that people can actually relate to. They're essentially receiving a great ROI and creative services from our team um, with great directors and screenwriters. But then they also know that by being an affiliate member of Truce, they're going to get a lot of additional benefits on the original content side because we've actually set aside profit sharing on that side because they're actually investing in a sense to help us create content that's self-funded. You've been listening to KGNews.org. For more information on this organization or to listen to other episodes, please go to news.kgnu.org. And that is all the time we have for today's Morning Magazine. Thank, I've been your host, Alexis Kenyon. Special thanks to Shay Castle, Stacey Johnson, Chris Schultz, Juanita Hurtado, and Jack Armstrong. Stay tuned for Connections. That's after these headlines from the BBC.